Tamiyut monasteries in Isan. This uh, Puto is a kind of there. What do you say? What? How do they practice meditation? They say Puto. Well, and of course, nobody knows. You know what? How do you practice Puto? <coughs> but then it's translated as uh, the knowing, or the the one that knows. So what it does is, it's, you know, it's, as a mantra, it can be just calming the mind. If you just stop the wandering, <coughs> thinking mind with uh, with one word, like puto, puto, you know, you, you're not letting your mind wander off into proliferating thoughts. You're just thinking one thought, keeping it concentrated on one thought. So it has a tranquilizing effect. But also, in v- terms of vipassana meditation, investigation, looking into the nature of things, it's uh, the knowing. So recognize that the being born into a human body, conscious form, is the experience of knowing, isn't it? You're it seems like you're a se- separate form with a, a world that's objective to you. you. I'm sitting here and you're out there. I can see you <coughs> as objects. So this is just investigation of the way it is. You know, in terms of the practical experience of this moment, I'm sitting this body that I call I is sitting here and and then you're in my consciousness speaking in uh, conventional terms well that's just ordinary i mean it's taken for granted but not you know maybe not really recognized as such because we we just become habituated to this relationship you know i see you always as separate objects to me so i you know, I project onto you all kinds of personal qualities, uh, you know, according to the way my mind works, my karmic tendencies, and and how I pick up on your body language or memories of you in the past, and that I create you as uh, separate personalities that have, uh, you know, is part of my conscious experience at this moment. But the knowing then isn't isn't uh, isn't conventional kind of what I think of you or my my opinions of you or your opinions of me, but of knowing that this is uh, consciousness. This is the reality of consciousness here and now. Then it's obvious that I can't see my own eyes. That's so obvious a a truth, isn't it? Nobody can look at their own eyes. I can see yours. (laughs) But at this moment, I can't see my own eyes. 
Well, that's, you know, why say something as stupid as that? Because it's so obvious. But it is recognizing that, that at this moment you're, you're, you're in an objective relationship in terms of sight. I'm a separate entity here looking at you. So I can see your eyes, but at the same moment, even though I'm seeing your eyes, I can't see my own as objects. Unless I take them out. <laughs> and then you say, well, I look in the mirror, and then they, they, that's not your eye, is it? It's a reflection of your eye. <clears throat> your eyes aren't in the mirror. <laughs> You're looking at a reflection. So this is uh, just noticing how much of our life is just uh, perfunctory, taking for granted all kinds of things we never question. We never question what you know. How, what is consciousness really, or the reality of this moment? But. I'm sitting, I'll just made a sitting on, the, on this platform, you're sitting there, he's the teacher, you're the students, uh, this is morning puja, and this is a conventional world <coughs> that we think, w that we, you know, are committed to this conventional world as our reality. But then uh, the conventional world is so, you know, so fraught with, with, ignorance and delusion, prejudices, biases, uh, conceit, arrogance, stupidity. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a wonder that the world isn't worse than it is. <clears throat> Because, uh, the, you know, the operating on this level of convention, you know, we, you know, we, we misunderstand, we, 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 you know, we see each other in terms of already, you know, fixed opinions or somebody else's views, prejudices. What are prejudices about? They're already formed opinions out of delusion that we adopt. You know, we don't think beyond them, and we just adopt them because our parents or somebody says this is true, and then we go along with it. So we can live in a world of of all kinds of stupidity and 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 harm and and uh, abuse and each other in all kinds of ways, just due to a lack of puto not knowing Dhamma, you know, we can see, let's uh, kill all the uh, Islamic terrorists. You know, it's like the annihilationists, genocide. Let's get rid of all, all the uh, groups of people we don't like. <laughs> and, you know, it's a kind of logic there. If you, if you kill everything you don't like, then then you'll be a lot feel a lot safer is the is the kind of assumption but then in the very act of killing is uh, is bad karma isn't it 
if we get caught up in killing all the people we don't like, we, you know, we're 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 doing violent, atrocious acts that affect our our lives in ways that are much more <coughs> dangerous than the the threats we feel from those we're killing. So just this Puru, this Puto Buddha, is the knowing, a simple knowing of the way it is. Uh, awakened attention, Buto. So consciousness is, you know, it's it's not a dumb kind of uh, meaningless word. It's pointing to this this uh, this sensitive state of knowing. N- this is a sense realm that we're living in. A sense realm is sensitive. Another truism, isn't it? A sense realm is sensitive. And sensitivity implies pleasure-pain. You know, being sensitive means that you're you're going to, you know, your your physical body is a is a sensitive form. So it's going to feel whatever impinges on it, whether it's pleasant or painful. It's going to feel it. Same with what you see. You know, you how can you you know control everything so you see only beautiful objects you know in, in in our lives we have you know whatever passes in front of our vision we you know we're it can be you know form is beautiful or horrifying or ugly this is sensitivity sensitivity isn't just appreciating beauty get into kind of uh, refinement and and only only very sensitive, precious, refined visions I want. And all the coarse, ugly, nasty bits will ban, you know, refuse to look at them. But that has its own price when we start trying to control everything out of fear and aversion. <coughs> So th- this is like acknowledging to yourself the natural state of our being, you know, consciousness, sensitivity, the, the f- this human body is a sensitive form, has senses, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body. It has, uh, it, it has a retentive memory. You know, we remember what happened yesterday or five years ago or ten years ago, forty years ago. Fifty years ago, I sixty years ago, I can remember. Seventy years ago, <laughs> <laughs> I can remember more than you. <laughs> <laughs> it's called retentive memory. <clears throat> so memory ha- affects consciousness, doesn't it? A, a happy memory, when you remember. 
uh, you know, something very pleasant or wonderful that happened to you in the past, it makes you feel good. Well, that's, that's happiness. That's because you're sensitive, you can feel happy just by uh, remembering some pleasant thing from the past. Or you can remember some unfair, miserable, uh, terrible thing that happened to you in the past. And what do you feel? You don't feel happy. You feel indignant or angry or resentful. There's sensitivity. So, I mean, you only have happy memories, but we don't, because we all have to experience. We all have, uh, you know, being in this realm, it is a sensitive realm. So, you know, we're not going to just live a life where everything is happy and beautiful for us, or where everything's fair and everybody is reasonable and kind and wonderful, and that's uh, ideal. An ideal is taking the very best of everything. <clears throat> but then when we contemplate experience here and now, it's like this. This is not an ideal. This is this is Dhamma the way it is. Conditions, all conditions are impermanent. So this way of reflecting on conditioned phenomena in terms of its characteristic of impermanence is not is not, you know, giving any value judgment about whether it's good or bad, beautiful or ugly, but all conditions are impermanent. So this is, this is like investigating, noting, noticing impermanence means we're not being just caught up into the quality of the condition. If we're just caught into the quality of the condition then it's you know we're happy if it's if it's pleasant and we're miserable if it's painful happy memory we feel on top of the world miserable memory we feel we're in hell so you know in terms of experience we go up and down the yo-yo effect and emotionally, we can be like that, just, you know, going up and down kind of pointlessly in our lives. Happy, happy, depressed, depressed. The sun comes out, whoopee, it starts raining, miserable. <laughs> We're total victims of circumstances. And this is what we feel like victims, because if we don't have Bhutto as our center, then we, then we are just victims of circumstances. It's kind of helpless there, you know. Your, your happiness depends on the sun coming out, everything going nicely, everybody smiling and being nice, everything being fair and just, everything being what I want, what it should be. And then it, then it isn't like that, and then I just get angry and upset. <clears throat> and complain. So in the constant factor through this through the changing conditions of sensitivity is this 
awareness. So that which is aware, the puto, the one who knows or the knowing, of conditioned phenomena as anicca dukkha nata. So these three characteristics of conditioned phenomena are, we're not creating those, kind of projecting those terms onto conditioned phenomena. That doesn't work. You're just fooling yourself again. But it's a way of reflecting on experience here and now. So just noticing now the the breath. You're aware of it changing this rather than <coughs> than uh, saying whether you f- your breathing making yourself feel peaceful and tranquil, or your breathing is painful and coarse, or whatever, you know, you're experiencing, the breath is, you're noticing that it's it's a moving, that it's different, like inhaling is a different experience than exhaling. I used to notice, and years ago, pay attention to that inhaling, it's easy for me to be aware of inhaling, to be concentrated on the experience of inhaling. And then I noticed that my mind would wander easily on the exhalation. <laughs> you know, I think, well, maybe that's, that's also a pattern of, of life, like the, the inhaling, the relationship with somebody else, the falling in love with somebody else, and you, you have this romantic feeling that's like inhaling. You can stay concentrated, you're kind of involved in it, and you like it. And then it reaches a peak, and then exhaling. (laughs) (laughs) In which you, you know, you're fed up with that person, you're no longer inhaling anymore, so... And I don't know, it's just a reflection. But just on the this example, inhaling, exhaling is something we're doing all the time, isn't it? And we're noticing it in terms of energy changing rather than, you know, whether my breathing is good or bad or <coughs> whatever. But, and also observing, discerning the difference. Inhaling is like this. Exhaling is like this. So the constant factor in just observing the inhaling, exhaling of your own breath is the awareness of the breath. You know, the constant is is the puto, the knowing of breathing, where the breath itself varies and changes.
and one conditions the other. You can't you inhale, which makes the it you know conditions the experience of exhaling. And you can't just inhale or exhale. One depends on the other. <coughs> so this is like taking something so ordinary like breathing that is not highly fraught with a lot of personal emotions and and individual delusions, isn't it? It's just a kind of function of the body that we generally don't notice unless it is, uh, you know, difficult. Like Sister Tita Metta recently uh, completed her pilgrimage around Mount Kailash. Well, when you're walking around Mount Kailash, you do, you're much more aware of breathing because it's so much more difficult there. <laughs> you know, it's a very high altitude and you're, <coughs> it's not sitting here. You know, it's nice to breathe in England. Sea level, everything, no problem. But you go up in the high mountains, take three steps and you're exhausted, kind of gasping for a breath, because there's not much oxygen. So then, you know, if the breathing becomes painful, you tend to pay attention. But ordinarily here, you know, who bothers to notice their breathing? Unless, you know, you're, you're asthmatic or you have something wrong with it. But examining this just ordinary breathing, say, sitting here this morning, is just noting this, this is the pattern of all conditioned phenomena. Birth and death, arising, ceasing, beginning and ending. Whether it's, uh, you know, the <coughs> physiological function of breathing or mental, emotional. You can't stay happy as a kind of permanent emotion. Because happiness depends on conditions, uh, you know, that, that give this feeling of happiness. And the conditions are changing. So this is and this is investigating, you know, seeing the nature of conditioned phenomena, recognizing it, understanding it. Then, then we that which is aware of conditioned phenomena, Bhutto in, in this uh, Buddhist sense, or conscious, alert knowing. paying attention. So this is where, <coughs> you know, ati ajatang, there is the unborn. So as I was saying last night, there's this statement there is it's not a now recognize it's not a doctrine and even though it's in the scriptures the Pali canon 
not asking you to believe it, but it is uh, something to reflect upon. The unborn right now is, is it unborn somewhere out there. Often, you know, it's somewhere, you know, so we're trying to think about the unborn as, as a kind of abstract force somewhere in that's affecting us right now. But we're just creating a, a sense of some mysterious force that we're not aware of. You know, something called the unborn. Or God. Or ultimate truth. But what we're doing is imagining, you know. We can imagine, use the, create abstract terminologies. You know, and, and imagine all kinds of kind of subtle forces, and that's called the unborn, uncreated, affecting us at this time. But it's still conceptual proliferation, isn't it? We're creating some some kind of scenario uh, that we th- that we're calling the unborn, or imagining it. We're still imaging, making images or concepts of them. But notice that. Ati ajatang is is not is is a is a fact. There is is a statement of reality. There is the unborn. So, to looking at it rather than as some kind of mysterious metaphysical reality that we can't possibly know at this moment, bring it into the present. This this unborn now. And because this stops the proliferating, you know, kind of conceptualizing mind or trying to figure it out or think about it into just this awareness, a listening, in which in this listening, in this attentiveness, mindfulness, we're not looking for anything, we're just receiving, recognizing, in which things arise and cease, you know, like uh, your breath is happening right now, your the body's sitting here at the same time you're breathing, you can feel hot or cold, you can, your mood can be, uh, you know, sleepy, dull, bright, clear, you can be happy or depressed. All of this is taking, can be taking place sim- simultaneously but the awareness is embracing the whole, the all at one moment here. Now, if you just go from one experience to the other, you know, if you if you're watching your breath and you're feeling, you know, miserable, emotionally miserable, you you kind of give up, you know, your your concern about your emotions. Because you're you're looking at your inhalation, and then exhalation, and then you lose it, so you go get depressed again. And these are your, you know, one thing the conditions, uh, you know, what you give your attention to, you forget the rest. So if I if I'm, you know, if I'm looking at observing just the posture or the breathing or a condition. And just you know, concentrated on an object. Then, 
all the rest I don't notice, even though it's happening at the same moment. The body sitting, the mood, the, the state of mind, the, you know, the, the feeling of, uh, you know, the things that hang around, moods can, can and affect, you know, our, can it can linger in consciousness. Thinking, you know, moves very quickly. But when we think, we can also create a mood. So if I think positive thoughts, you know, I feel happy. If I think negative thoughts, I feel depressed. So, you know, the power of positive thinking is, is uh, you know, one way of dealing with suffering is to, is to just uh, obsess your consciousness with positive concepts. And you will feel happy. You get it. You can get uh, elated on it. High as a kite. And because, you know, the more <coughs> sublime, uh, ethereal, and refined your thinking goes, you you get more like that. You'll experience it. But it's unsustainable. You know, you have to keep creating the conditions for the to to feel this happy. Like I know, years ago, my sister is a devout Christian, and she was having terrible for one of her her third child, who was become a drug addict, and he was a he was very he's very big and threatening and abusive, and and stole burgled the houses nearby, and of course, my sister and her husband they got very upset with this and depressed. My sister's quite a positive person, got very down and and she took it she kind of got caught into born again Christianity at that time. So I went home to see her, you know, and this was many years ago and here she was, she was sparkling with this, this aura of God is love and Jesus is my savior and and she'd kind of radiate this kind of you know, joyful, uh, kind of ecstatic uh, way of, of talking, you know. And, and and she looked quite beautiful and quite impressive because she was just obsessing her mind with all about love and Jesus and, and all the rest, very positive, beautiful concepts. And then she'd, she'd take on the aura of this kind of radiant, luminous, bright person. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Can't understand what she's saying, but <laughs> bloody irritating if you ask me. But <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, then she, then when she stopped doing that, then I noticed, and she's like sitting uh, in, 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 uh, on, the, on a chair. She looks so depressed. You know, you just go down from this all is love to hell, hell realm of misery. And then I could, you know, I began to see what, why she kind of gravitated to this particular style of born again Christianity. This is in the 80s. Because in a time where, you know, she was experiencing so much pain and misery and, and that, uh, she could, you know, she could kind of mom, 
momentarily get out of it and, you know, get into a high state. But then to sustain it, she keeps having to degenerate it, you know. And when she saw, I was looking at her, then she goes, all his love and his Christ loves me and, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So she could turn it, switch it on, but you couldn't sustain it. So when you meet people like that, that are, you know, full of this brightness, they're radiant, then, you know, it is, you can, you can do that yourself through positive thinking, through belief and, and you, you know, reiterating positive uh, thoughts in, in your, into your consciousness. <coughs> or you can do the opposite, you can make yourself totally miserable. Life is, life sucks. It's all just <laughs> misery and Everybody's a self-centered, selfish, and vain, and and uh, there's no goodness in the world. It's all nasty and ugly and mean. And what will happen to you? You get depressed. <laughs> <laughs> this is sensitivity, isn't it? This is what sensitivity is about. So, like, being knowing, sensitivity is like this. You know, it's a, it includes, you know, you can't just be sensitive on one extreme. Sensitivity includes both, heaven, hell, pleasure, pain. <coughs> and yet, we don't like, we don't want hell and pain, we want heaven and happiness. You know, so the desire is, I want to be happy and live in heaven, and I don't want pain and, and misery and hell. So the desires come, you know, wanting one and not wanting the other. But the awareness of this, you know, the puto is, has, gives you this perspective on the changingness of desire, wanting heaven, not wanting hell. So when they say, like, bhavadana vipavadana, in the second noble truth, desire to become, desire to go to heaven, desire for happiness, desire for security, for enlightenment. All kinds of good desires, you know, there's nothing wrong or bad, but there but it is a condition that changes. Desire is an object that you can witness with Puto. You know, so you you're observing desire when it's uh, very good, wanting to become enlightened, it's a good desire. Wanting to get rid of what you don't like is vipavadanha, is like this. What is it that's aware of desire? You know, what is it, what it's consciousness, isn't it? Consciousness receives all, every kind of desire, the three kinds of desire, good desires, bad desires, evil desires, saintly ones. It'll receive everything. But consciousness with banya or wisdom then, discerning, 
noting the, noting the nature of conditioned phenomena. All conditions are impermanent. So this is like vipassana, investigating, finding out for yourself. So then in the Theravada style, Bhutang Sarnangachami, these are it's Bhutto. These are these are just reminders. Take ref I take refuge in the Buddha is the reminder. But it's not taking refuge in some kind of mystical Buddha somewhere in the universe, but it's it's uh, it's, it's here and now. It's practical. It's it's you're, you're fixing you you know you're not. Th- thinking it in terms of abstract ideas or philosophy or <coughs> metaphysics, but pinning it down to the present. This Bhutto is this awakened consciousness now that is aware of wanting to go to heaven, not wanting to stay in hell. And it's a, my sister, that lasted only a while, then she woke up to the... <laughs> Didn't like that anymore, <laughs> but it is you know it's interesting to because she's a very intelligent person you know, and she, as a Christian she's quite intelligent about it. She's not you know a kind of stupid type of Christian, <laughs> but she, <coughs> but she, at that point you know it was a, it was a desperation, isn't it? Of just being so miserable that the only way out of it was a the power of positive thinking. So it was an upaya, and nothing. I'm not criticizing her for it, but how you know how it was a, a te- you know an attempt to find happiness when you're basically experiencing misery, wanting to get out of misery by thinking in these positive ways, through belief in in all his love and and um, all is good and life is wonderful and Jesus loves me. It's uh these are, you know, positive uh, <coughs> concepts. So in Samatha and when we practice Samatha it tends to you know, it's a skillful use of positivity because you're, you know, the developing jhanas is letting go of the coarser. So you choose an object for samatha that is, you know, something that will lead towards, say, tranquility. Or, say, if you're moving to want tranquility, you, uh, you know, the, you can use the breath for samatha meditation. And through concentrating on the breathing, you can, you know, go, you, you almost, it becomes very refined. It, it's like you stop breathing. So it, uh, you know, then that, <coughs> it's, uh, you know, then you, because the, the, the breath will, as you concentrate on it, absorb into it, then it, tends to seem seemingly disappear, and that's very peaceful, tranquil. But then you know the uh, 
something happens and you're startled and <gasps> you're breathing again. <laughs> but, uh, and so not to, to, some people think I'm, I have a grudge against samatha, I don't. I've practiced it a lot, but recognize it is, it's a function, it, it has a, it's still, uh, you know, it's still selecting, choosing, uh, absorbing into objects. Where, say, in sama, samadhi, in the Eightfold Path, it, it's not, you're not, you're not choosing an object to absorb into, but it's uh, the concentration that comes from the whole, from oneness, from completion, rather than choosing an object to focus on and absorb into it. And then whatever you absorb into, you become like that. You know, you become, you know, like I remember years ago experimenting with color casinas, you know, you take a color and and concentrate on it. And so that time I was very, I found green, you know. So I, I you know, I, I can, I'm good at creating casinas in my mind. I can imagine color very, so result of concentrating on green was I see green all the time. <laughs> Ajahn Amaro, when we were repairing Chitter's house years ago, you know, the derelict house, and he took on the responsibility for g- the gutters, the draining from the roof, you know, the, g- the guttering o- on the roof. We were re-roofing the house, <coughs> and uh, Ajahn Amaro took on the responsibility of, of uh, researching all about gutters that you could get, you know, then available at know, 20 years ago. So he, he wrote away and got all kinds of information on guttering. And uh, and he's got a very retentive mind, a brilliant intellect. And so he, he found out all about gutters and he chose the, the gutters and, and helped put them up. And then he said for months after that, wherever he'd go, he'd look, be looking at people's gutters. <laughs> <laughs> Something they never noticed before, you know. <laughs> till, you know, even though they're there, they're present, you know. Every house around here has gutters, but you don't bother to notice. But if you're obsessing your consciousness with gutters, then you start noticing them. Now I wonder if it's still, I, don't th- I think it's past. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to ask him. 